0: 58 seconds. 58. 59. Three minutes. Okay. Let's see if we can kind of regather here. Thank you guys. I know it's hard. Uh, and I know the fellowship is really fun. I hate to call you back so quickly. Uh, I, I really do know it's a good time. Um, but let me, let me, I want to give you the, because of the time, I've got, um, just so you know, in the last, uh, um, Hour or so, I've covered about three pages of notes. I have thirteen pages left, <laughs> so we know what that's—you know—that the speed's not going to be there. So let me let me try to give you something that um, um, might prove useful. Now this is going to, to mean that we've got to expand it now heaven, the invisible place, the whole board is now heaven. The lower register, the the visible heavens and earth, we've just erased, just for the sake of, of pedagogy here. And the question is this. How or in what order does Jesus bring you where he is? And what I want you to appreciate is that the the general answer to the question, which is the answer, but uh, I'm not going to be able to treat it in, in in great detail, is that in the already you have been brought to Mount. Zion by faith union with Christ. So this is the mountain in heaven. This is Mount Zion. I know my diagrams are horrible. Some people are praying, can he start with the the PowerPoint? No. You feel the way I think. I don't think I can think about this. but, But Hebrews 12, 22 through 24 tells you this, and, and listen. Right now, right here, right now, by Spirit-wrought union with Christ the Mediator, you have come to Mount Zion by faith. You're, you have arrived. Every time you hear the gospel, and your heart is warm, and you're encouraged, and you're edified, and you're thinking, I surely wouldn't mind the Lord coming right now. You know what that is? That's Mount Zion. And the living Christ in you, showing you glory, drawing you up. You come by faith. But notice this phrase that's so key. I'm going to make it a little larger. You have come to Mount Zion by faith union with Christ. By faith you have come. By union with Christ, you <coughs> belong to Him and where He is, you are because you're joined. You're joined to Him by the Spirit. You're joined to Him by faith. And you have come to Mount Zion. And what will constitute the not yet Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 is when you are brought by sight to the same mountain, to the same goal place, by sight. And let, me try to, let me try to work this out just a little bit, because there's a lot that we can say. But here's what I want you to do. The first text that we're going to look at is Hebrews 12, 18 through 24. And I'm just going to walk you through some things. I just find this text fascinating. this text would be, if I maybe would have skipped Genesis, which I just couldn't do. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I almost did. We could spend considerable more time. But you're going to see. Hebrews 12, 18 through 21, and then 22 through 24, guess what it does? It unites our earlier discussion of Moses <coughs> and our present discussion of Jesus. Because it talks about two mountains. Mountain 1, 12, oh, I went to the black. Huh. <laughs> okay. Hebrews 12, 18 through 21. It's what? Now, here's, we've got to do this because we're reformed and redemptive historical and we know Jesus. Here's Mount Sinai. <laughs> Here's Mount Sinai. And who's going to be mentioned in 18 through 21? Moses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moses, Moses, Moses and the people. There's also an animal mentioned. Some animals mentioned. Moses and the people. When you're coming to Mount Zion, we're going to see it's angels, saints, Jesus. And the comparison and contrast is going to be from the earthly to the heavenly and the contrast could not be more programmatic or more basic. And guess what? The good news, we're already ready for this. Because we've we've listened to the Old Testament. But listen to the language here. Now, especially now in light of what the author of Hebrews could say. What he could say is what we said in 32 through 34. That's looking at it through the vantage point of Moses. But here's the key. 12, 18 through 21 is going to give you Sinai from the perspective of the people and Moses prior to Moses' ascent. And so so the text is going to bring (laughs) Moses and the people much more closely together. And we're going to see what the people saw while Moses was on the mountain. And here's what it is. And now, now I've already proven to you without a shadow of a doubt that this is a covenant of grace the Lord is drawing near He's blessing His people. It's a covenant bond of love and fellowship. But listen to the way it's put and this is, this, by the way, um, Hebrews 12, 18 through 24 is just about as perfectly parallel to 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 18 as I can add. But, with, you know, a Listen. You have not come to what may be touched. Stop. First fundamental continuity, discontinuity, <coughs> is that you have not come to something that you can do. You can't do it. You can't touch it. You can't see it. And you have not come <coughs> to something that can be touched. Where's the mountain you can touch? The mountain you can touch is the earthly old covenant, Mount Sinai. That is a mountain that you can touch. You have to come to that. But what is the following description of of that mountain and its significance in redemptive history for Moses and the people. Here's what it is. You have not come to what may be touched, which is what? A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. And the sound of the trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further word be spoken to. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches this mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, "I tremble with fear." Where's that language? That's from nineteen twelve through thirteen of Exodus. Exodus nineteen sixteen. The people could not endure. Moses trembles with fear. So here's what I want you to appreciate. Prior to the coming of Christ, when God drew near to his people, in redemptive mercy, from the Exodus. See, this is Exodus 19, right? With outstretched arm, I brought you to myself. In fact, back in 19.4, Exodus 19:4, what does the Lord say? I've redeemed you out of Egypt and with eagle's wings for them brought me to myself. It's a redemptive bond of union. But when God appeared on Sinai, do you remember how he appeared? Flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, thick black billowing smoke, and a blazing fire descended on top of Mount Sinai. And what did it make everyone do, including Moses? made him tremble with fear. Why? Because God is holy and to be in his presence lays bare sin just like that. And what do sinners do in the presence of God? They hide because they're what? They're afraid. The you, you, can't, you can't muster courage in the face He'll melt me in our heartbeat, right? With his power, his glory, and his holiness. But what, listen up, What was happening? This is where people miss the Mosaic Covenant so you can miss it so easily. What was that event? It's not God to works. It's not God coming in judgment. It's God coming to redeem. But what is he? He's the Christ, holy God, Israel. And so as he comes, as he comes, the people of Israel and Moses see the phenomenon surrounding Mount Sinai was glory that was veiled in thick black clouds, lightning and thunder, and it is a terrifying context for the people of God. Why? because they have not yet been joined to the ascended Christ. They've been joined to the promised Christ. But there is yet no one who has made full propitiation, full atonement, ascended to that mountain in heaven to at God's right hand to bring you to friend to friend, face So from the standpoint of Israel, from the standpoint even of Moses, what is the language? Do not come near lest wrath break out against you. That's what the Lord says to Moses in 19, 21-24. Do not come near lest wrath break out against the congregation. So what (coughs) happens? I'm just reviewing what we did. So what happens? Well, Moses, in terror, in trembling, fear and trembling, terror from Trump, in fear and trembling before the Lord. He ascends that mountain. And no sooner has he ascended than what breaks out down the wall? Gold Covenant broken. Moses breaks the tablets. The covenant is then renewed after what? Moses leading that comes to been Here's what, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to communicate this, I've got longer ways of putting it, but I want to say something like this. The peace and glory and beauty and tranquility and fellowship and life that is in Mount Zion and the ascended cross makes this mountain look death-like even though it was the lord approaching in redemptive peace you see do you see that that's that's a point that's hard to grasp but it's precisely what what's being made here there's a movement <coughs> from the covenant on sinai exodus nineteen twenty. Where Moses is even kept back to the movement in 32 through 34, where Moses is what? Brought forward and given a vortex as a title to his death and prison. And here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. And this is the this is the best way I'm going to know how to, to illustrate it. But let's just assume, and this is an assumption, let's assume that the readers of the epistle of the letter are. Yes, for Jews. Or they're just they're, they're they're Jewish. What would be their strong temptation? If we understood Exodus 32 through 34 right, what would they be saying? They'd be saying, what? I want Moses die. That's what I want. Here's what do to the other Hebrews are saying. The other Hebrews are saying, Do you want Moses? Okay, here's what you get. You get a frightful fearful, provisional, earlier edition of what has been consummated in Christ and the consummate glory and life and fullness that's in Christ makes this thing terrifying by contrast. Even what Moses got in Exodus 32-34 is a faint, provisional, 40-day preview of something that qualitatively supersedes Moses. So, here's the point. Is there any way that you could ever desire to be a retrogressive redemptive historian and move everyone back toward Moses and Zion? You see, listen. It's just
1: downright
0: in old-fashioned terms unthinkable. (laughs) It's just
1: unthinkable.
0: You see? That's the arguments that's being made. So what's the difference? That's the, if I, I don't think I'm getting this all the way down for you. In fact, I know I'm not. But that's the experience of those who knew the Lord in redemptive grace at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. Apparently there were plenty of idolatry around too. But we're talking about the covenant people And here's the point I want you to grasp. Form a fellowship with God is not you. This is you, verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion. And here's what I want to do with you, and I want to show you this. You have come to Mount Zion. This is, um, this is quite fascinating, and quite glorious. Cool. I want you to know. I wish I could put it for you this way. you know how ex, um, um, Hebrews 12, 22 to 24, if you're reading it, it moves downward on the page? I want you to recognize that the, the, the movement, if you turn it upside down, is an upward movement. And I'll try to show you mean by that. Verse 22 says that you have come to what? You come to the heavenly Jerusalem. That's so small, I know you can't see it. I guess I'm just doing it for myself. Um, <laughs> to, to Mount Zion. and to the what? The city of the living God. You see those terms? Okay, now what are those terms? I, I don't have a lot of time, but I'm not going to run through this too fast. What are those terms? Well, if you'll fit conceptually with me. Those are synoptic, global designations of the heavenly dwelling space that we looked at from Genesis 1-1, Nehemiah 9-6, Isaiah 6-1-3, and other places. It's It's the synoptic, geographical depiction of the polis, or city. So think... Geographical topology. Is that Topology, yeah. 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 It's work, right? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> this is Tiffany, your are a I don't want to But, um, but um, it's, so, so that, that's like an outside external view of the city, mountain, <coughs> heavenly Jerusalem dwelling. Okay? Now here's what I want you to do with <coughs> is This is the way to enter into it, and I think it will prove useful. I want you to get a picture with me. I hope this isn't too odd for you. I want you to picture that we're going to fly into the city. We're going to fly in. And we're going to enter into it. And once you enter into it, your movement is going to be what? You're going to move up. And as you move up, once you enter the city, let's say you enter it at its base—for lack of a better word—look as you ascend Mount Zion. The movement you have come to Mount Zion, city of the living God to the heavenly Jerusalem. What's the first thing you get in verse twenty-three? And you just can't count. Innumerable angels in what? Yes. Oh my goodness. What is that? We've already looked at it. You know what that is? That's Isaiah 6, 1, 3, 3. consummation. Why are they in the gathering? Oh, king of, <coughs> right? king of glory. But the angels, the angels are lower than whom? Than men. In the church, so look—you come to angels and festal gathering. You come, and these are two ways to put it. You come to the assembly of the firstborn, and the what—the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You know who that is? That's every single believer who has died in union with Christ, who is now personally in the presence of and entered into the heavenly Jerusalem, the Mount, Mount Zion, and the city of God. And do you remember the language from Hebrews 2? What is man that you're mindful of him? You made him for a time what? lower than the angels but when you depart to be with the lord and when you are joined to christ what are you you're above you're exalted Father. so that if, if, if my topography things are right you enter into the city you're going to be moving up angels lowest assembly of the firstborn spirits of the righteous made perfect all are in a festal gathering and what is it i'll tell you what it is it's what you do every Lord's Day is being done perfectly and perpetually in the presence of God right now. That's what's that? That's why when believers die, it's so much better to be with the Lord, away from the body, of the Lord. But now we've got to say something here. You've come to the assembly of the firstborn, enrolled in heaven. You come to the spirits of, of the righteous made perfect. And you come to what? Come to God, yes. the Judge of all. And then you come, verse 44. You come, Jesus, to Jesus, to His wife yes. yes. Covenant. The movement is an ascending movement, and you have come past the angels with the church to God and to Jesus. He is the mediator of a new covenant, and you now, by the Spirit and through faith, You, I'll talk about the the connotation of the word and say, you have already come there. And where are you? Listen, this is a crazy thing. This is what's so beautiful. You, right now, we are in the wilderness. That is wilderness. Don't read it too closely because it doesn't read wilderness. (laughs) You are in the wilderness. Yes. If you are joined to Jesus by the Spirit through faith, where have you come? Where have you been brought? Where has your forerunner ministered to you and brought you? You have been brought to Jesus. Uh, I'll try to put it this way. If that, that this will give you an angle that, that might help you. You know what Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do in John 16 13 through 15 Jesus says I am going away and it's good that I go away because when I do what will I do I'll send the Comforter, I'll send the Holy Spirit <clears throat> he's the spirit of truth what will He do he will take what is mine And He will make it known to you, John 16, 14. 15, 15, 15. Especially before. the Spirit takes what is Jesus and makes it known to you, and does it so that where He is, and God get this, by the Spirit's agency, you are joined him. Now, does not mean, look, some people said, that means my body has to be where Jesus is. No, your union is a spiritual union. There's a, and listen, this is really something, but you are joined to Jesus by the supernatural personal agency of the Spirit who has taken you and joined you to Christ so much so. Think of Philippians. Um, think of um, Ephesians three sixteen and seven. The Spirit is in your inner being, so that what Listen. Christ might dwell in your heart through faith. Christ is in you. Colossians 1.27 The hope of glory. If He is in you. And you are in Him. And He is seated in Mount Zion at the right hand of God. Where has He brought you by indwelling you by His Word and Spirit? He's brought heaven to you. He has come down from the mountain and bought, listen, better than Moses by His Word and Spirit. You see that? The Ascended Christ in your heart has spoken the words that are life and light to you by His Spirit through His Word. And you are no longer your own. You belong to Jesus. And so this, listen, I don't know how to say this because i I'm not getting tired of it, but I'm running out of time. This is as real as anything that you can imagine. This is the Spirit of Christ in you, joining you to the Mediator who is what? (laughs) I like to think of this way. In your inner being, 2 Corinthians 4.16, 16, I like to think of it this way. You know what? What's happened? We know that sin, we Even though you're a sinner, you continue to sin, even though you're out of is wasting money, you're a the man. You've been joined to Christ. <coughs> the whole person has been joined to Christ, body, and soul. Right now, there is this, there's this movement of the Spirit drawing you into fellowship with communion with the Son of Christ. It's a and that movement is what the author of the Hebrews is saying. But in 12.22, he says this. I've got to get to it. You have come. Perfect that. You have come to Mount Zion. It's not, and listen, please, if you hear it, if you want to do this, I you know that you brothers did not say this. And if you hear it out there, mm-hmm. this isn't something that's true in principle. This is true personally, vitally, Spirit forged union with Christ. You have come to Mount Zion because you have come to Christ. More basically, Christ has come to you. And he is present, and in your union with him, you now inhabit the place Christ inhabits by his spirit. It's a strange, I could talk about it more in detail because everybody conceptualized. There is a dimensional dynamic here, where while you are on Earth, you are united to Christ and have fellowship with Him in heavenly places. That's true the truest core of who you are, and it means. Do you remember? Can't remember the text for this one. When, when does Elijah get his eyes open? First. Remember when Elijah opened his eyes, spiritual eyes open, and you realizes that there are, are angels all around? Well, we use spatial dimensions often, and it's appropriate. But there's also a sense in which the Christ who is there, and I actually I don't want to be too mystical for you. I don't want to think, think of getting strange. But may I tell you something that's true? <laughs> Do you know why you're? Understanding this, Jesus is in you by the Spirit, (laughs) and the Holy Spirit—not the Spirit. hes teaching you by His Holy Spirit. His word right (laughs) now. That's why you're here, and and in fact, John uh, John 10:8. will will the sheep ever
1: listen to anyone but Jesus?
0: You're listening to to him through his word. He's telling you, he, by his word, is telling you, you have come to Mount Zion, city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to an innumerable group of angels, the festival gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn, the spirits of the righteous, God, the judge of all, Jesus, who is the mediator of the new covenant. And this is true of you in an irrevocable and unreachable life. There is nothing in all creation that is separated from the love of God and Christ. There is no one who can stop him doing what he's doing. It's unstoppable. No one can stop him. Satan is furious with us right now. And Christ is filling us right now. You see? Anyway, I don't want to get too into to like interior spiritual things but um let, let me talk to you then about what remains future there's a there's a difficult issue that that kind of plagues us all and it's this how can we say if we have come to mount zion if we are united to jesus by the spirit if jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And we have come to Mount Zion. You did, I hope you didn't hear me equivocate. It's as real as real gets. How in the world is it that we haven't entered into the Sabbath fest? Or have we? Have we entered into the Sabbath fest? Here's my answer. Three 30, 30, minutes, minutes. Here's the Yes and no. <laughs> Don't you love answers like yeah. that? I thought he was going to answer it. Now it's yes and no. Let me, let me explain to you what There's a There's a <laughs> verse, I'm just going to have to jump now. It's just jump now. I can't contextualize it real well. But there's a verse that has caught the attention of a number of scholars in Hebrews 4 through. And there's a present verb there, and it says this those who believe. Enter that rest. What rest is that? It's the Genesis two two Sabbath rest of God. Just before, or just after, in Hebrews four four, the rest that is being spoken of is the way that the author of Hebrews says it. Somewhere he has said, "On the seventh day, God rested from all." And Hebrews four three says, using the present tense. Those who believe enter that rest. It's a present verb. Now some people say, hey, end of debate, you've entered the rest, end of discussion. May I tell you something that that might be useful? Greek verbs, a present verb, can either have one of three forces. But um you've got three basic forces. One is a true present, like here and now, like this You believe, you've entered that rest, no qualification needs. Some people take that view. Andrew Lincoln is a is a people The second sense that <laughs> the future verb of entering, coming, or going can have is a um, is a future. Force. Right, there's no doubt about that. You can have a future force, or it's a little different. I think certain English permutations can we can, we can manage that. So, it, so it could mean those who believe will enter that rest. They can have that force, and there are other theologians who will take that out. There's a third view, and I'll uh, I don't want to be too pedantic with you, but this verb, enter, rest, is a present middle indicative, and one way it can be translated, and this is my way, I like this one the best, and I'll tell you why in a second, is to be in the process of entering, for which the destination still lies in the future. It's to be in the process of entering, but the final destination is yet future. That, I'm pretty convinced, is the lot of you. So let me explain what that means. And if you want some technical discussions, you know, they can be had. Um, there are some, some resources we can turn to. But for our point, the force of the present in three in conjunction with the reference to faith and Sabbath rest, means this. This is, this, Gaffin has put it this way, I'm, I'm refining it just a little bit, <coughs> that rest is being undertaken now by faith, but there is a yet future by sight dimension to it. Faith is being, rest is being entered into by faith. There's the present for But there is a still-to-be-realized-by-sight dimension to Sabbath rest, And that means that by faith, as you have come to Jesus, you are in the process of entering that rest, but there's one nagging, deep, structural problem. You know what it is? You are in the wilderness, and you do not yet see Jesus. You know him by faith, and that's real, more real than anything we could ever imagine, but you don't yet what? You don't yet see. You don't yet see. So... Look down at Hebrews four nine through eleven and see if this does flow well, just about as easily as anything we've that? I think it's possible, I mean, we can we can talk. I'll try to save a little time to cue uh, But particularly and precisely in light of Hebrews four nine through ten, I think we can pinpoint the nature of that yet to be realized future sacrifice. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same disobedience. what that's saying? In light of Hebrews 4.3, Sabbath rest is something being presently entered into, but the telos by sight remains future. It's entered by faith, not by sight. So Hebrews 4.9 says, totally appropriately, what? There remains a Sabbath rest. And if it remains... How can we understand the mode of entry? I'll tell you what I think the key is, it's first step. And let me let me try to make it as, as simple and clear as I can. I'm not going to tell you about the bad view or the view that doesn't make sense. <laughs> um that way. Someone might hold it. So I apologize in advance if I called your view a bad view or a view that doesn't make sense. Let me put it differently. Seriously, that's not good. I'm getting tired. Um, it, no, it's not helpful. I should not have said that and I ask your forgiveness to anyone who holds that view. Um, I guess I should tell you what it is now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but, but the, the, that view is this. The view that we should avoid is that the one who rests from his works is the one who rests from sinful works and is justified. So the parallel is the one who rests from his sinful works and is justified, enters that rest just as God rested from his works. Now what would be the jarring incongruity of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Okay, we got it. See, so if no one holds it, I'll just keep an eye. Do you see how jarring that is? How in the world are you going to compare resting from sinful works? Versus resting from the very good works of the Creator, isn't that an odd analogy? It's just, I didn't get it. You didn't get the analogy? Can you
1: say one more? Oh yes, ma'am.
0: Yes, ma'am. Some uh, I have it in my notes, and I can do it. What is what I what, what,
1: what verses are you? I'm so. I'm not.
0: I'm getting in a hurry pull up This is all and fall. Four ten, I think, is the key to how Sabbath rests. There's still a future dimension to it, and here's the view. Here's the, the verse. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Four. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now I'm going to tell you that other view we can talk about later. Let me tell you the proper analogy. What did God do in six days and then enter into rest? And those works of creation are one good, good, perfect. Good, perfect they're gods. You don't improve on. Right. So they're very good, even though it's a provisional order that's moving toward consummation. It's very good and without sin. And then what does he do on day seven? Not because he's tired, but because he saw, he rests. Not because he has to recoup strength. But he rests as the one who surveys his created order and says it is very good. So he rests from what kind of works? From Creational works that are yeah. very good. Now, if you'll look with me in the book of Hebrews and you think about the way that um, the church is described, I want you to listen to what the author of Hebrews says about the works of believers in union with Christ while in the wilderness. Listen. For God, Hebrews 6.10 and 11, Hebrews 10.24 and 25. I'm going I'm to focus especially on verse 10, 6.10 and 10.24. 10, Listen. God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his saints. For his sake, as you still do. What does that say? Listen, God is watching you and he knows you're united to Christ. And you know what he's not going to forget? He's not going to forget the love that you've shown the saints. He's not going to forget. And it's love and what? spirit for work. And how to characterize loving the saints? It's good. Isn't it? Not perfect, because we're, we're still sinners, but it's good. And the Lord won't forget that. Now look at Hebrews 10.24. <clears throat> Let us consider how to stir up one another to what? Love, and now it's just right, as explicit as it can be, good works you want to know what the Lord sees in you as you're united with Christ? It's not perfect because you're not yet in heaven. Your spirit has not yet been made perfect. Do you know what he sees? And you should be so encouraged by this. For the sake of Christ and your union with Christ, he sees your love, he sees your good works, and he reads never verse. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that wonderful? The Lord sees those good works. And let me give you an illustration here. One of these days, the, the the works that we're doing right now, let's fast forward, Lord knows how long. You know what's going to start happening to each one of us? I'll use myself as an example. It could happen right this moment. I'm going to fall in the wilderness. I'm going to die. And unless the Lord returns. I'm gonna fall. And I'm gonna die, sir. You know, you know what? The Lord will remember the good works of His church in the wilderness, and the day is coming when you will be given rest from the The good works are wilderness works that are wrought in you for the sake of Christ. And when you cease from those works, you will enter rest. And that rest is the end of wilderness works. And that rest is the end of what is already being undertaken by faith now. There is a time coming when a Sabbath rest awaits the people of God for just as God rested from His works on the seventh day. So you and I as believers will rest from our wilderness works and there will be an entering not by faith but an entering by sight into the rest of God on Mount Zion in Jesus Christ. This is the reality to be entered after wilderness works are over. Hence, 411, let us therefore strive to what? Enter that rest so that no one may fall but the sword. <coughs> You see that language? There is a striving to enter what has already been undertaken by faith. And that striving will reach its end point when. When Jesus brings you bodily to himself, that is when the rest that's in the view is realized. That's the realization that of <coughs> Now, let me make a, a comment or two that wraps this up. <clears throat> Look at Hebrews 4, 14, 16. I would be totally remiss if I didn't end here. And I'll only sketch it. But you're going to see it when I, when I tell you. How is the Hebrews 3, 7 through 4 is life a unit? And Hebrews 3.7 begins with the church in the wilderness. Hebrews 4.11 ends with the church in rest for striving to end. Now well, let me ask you this. Wilderness is a tough place, isn't it? Really. Tough in ways that we don't even talk about to one another, but it's tough. And you're beset on all sides by temptation, trial, hardship, suffering, wickedness is increasing in our culture, and it's increasing throughout the world, and it's incredibly difficult. What, and where, and to whom do you look as you are in the wilderness? Hebrews four fourteen through 16 Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens to the highest heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are in the wilderness, yet he is us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's what I want you to know. There are two controlling points that give us perspective here. First, 414 coming on the heels of the long section on the wilderness is not accidental. It's not just, hey, I think it'd be a good time to talk about my priesthood of Christ. It is deliberately inserted to give you your bearings in the wilderness. Right? And what's the point? We have. We have. In the wilderness, We it's not have not. We have. Christ is ours, and he's ours as a high priest. He's ours as the son of God, and what has he done? I'm not going to be able to develop this as much as I want. Let me ask you this. Why is he able to sympathize with our weaknesses, and where was he tempted? Jesus put his feet on this earth. And he put his feet on this earth, and he underwent every single, conceivable form of temptation. You yeah. want to know how many times he yielded? Yeah. Let me ask you this. I'll tell you something about myself that might be this point. Before I hit 40, I was still kind of athletic. No, no, semi-athletic. And 10 years ago, I tore my quadrature off my knee. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. It hurt. And um, I went from being fairly athletic to being uh, sitting and I can't do it. (laughs) But you know what that did? what that did. About a year after I did it, there was this guy who tore his bicep. And you know what I did? I wouldn't have done this other way. I've gone through the same thing. Now, the problem is, I've gotten a little bit frustrated sometimes along the way because my rehab didn't go like the one I and I wanted to be bigger. I wanted to be the six million dollar man. Do you remember what she lost in I wanted to be able to run faster than get on I to be better than I ever was. Guess what? That was only true for uh, Lee Majors. It's <laughs> not true for Lane Tipton. And, 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 and so I realized it's hard to age. It's hard to tear a cloth. And when like another guy had something similar. Do you know what that increased in me? It created a unique empathy. Before that, you know what I think my the passion over there? should have been doing a little, a little more extra curve like this, but a little stronger. But no, 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 not now. I was going like, hmm, I, I, let me tell you something. Can you imagine if someone, never been through, and sin, sin, the form of suffering you have been through, and temptation, and hardship, and never ever sinned, but he knows so well how hard it is. That's your sin, He's been tempted in every way like you are. And so I want to tell you something. I'm sorry I got a little emotional. I'm going to fight it off. But he Only perfectly empathizes with your weakness and sin. You can grieve him. You can grieve him. But his empathy knows no boundaries. You don't need an error. You need Jesus. You see what i You need Jesus. And and, do you want to know what's even more beautiful about it? He. The wilderness and he suffers no more. He has traversed the wilderness and he suffers no more. So you have on the one side, you have a perfectly sympathetic, totally understanding. And when I mean sympathetic, I mean the kind of empathy that weeps when someone weeps, rejoices when someone rejoices. You've got that in Christ right now. But on the other side, he's traversing the wilderness. And his wilderness traversing resources are ours. His wilderness traversing resources are yours. So when you come out on the other side in 416, do you know what your time of need is? See, your time of need isn't just... When you've got a big test to take and you're saying, Lord, I'm really This is my time of need. Give me super mental cognition so I can remember all these crazy things and at least pass this class. That's not the time of need. You know what the time of need is? It is as long as you are in the wilderness. <laughs> that is your time of need. You know what you've got? You've got mercy Grace from the wilderness, traversing, empathetic, sinless, and ascended Savior to see you through. And you're not to know what God's grace and mercy is. Absolutely unfailing and all sufficient. Right? Okay. So, see, the wilderness <coughs> is the place where you have begun. That rest by faith in Christ and union with Him. But a Sabbath (coughs) rest awaits the people of God. It awaits you and me, and that Sabbath rest comes not, listen, it's not just when you die, you're at rest. You know what's so unnatural about death? My mom passed away two years ago, two and a half. Her spirit instantly departed to be with the Lord. Hebrews 12 23 the companion text of 2 Corinthians 5.8 to be away from the body, to be home, to Lord. Philippians 121-23, to start by far to die, to die is gain, to be the Lord, and uh, Luke 23, 43, today you will be in mm-hmm. paradise. My mom's in paradise. You know what just is so difficult You know where her the body is? It's in Abilene. Abilene text is under the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and I don't want to make the intermediate state sound too bad because you're going to be filled with joy when you go the Lord. But have you ever thought about that text in um, Revelation 6 10, where the spirits of those who have been beheaded or mark. You know what they're doing right now? The they're worshiping the Lord sinlessly. So. <laughs> <laughs> How long? So you our See, it's unnatural to be away from the body and the home of the world, even though it's better. It's only when your body is raised that you enter rest. And I've got a quote from Gavin. He's my, he's my mentor. Here is the way he put it. I hope I can it. I, can. <clears throat> I can't, so I'll just have to go by. Gaffney said this. He said the bodily presence. of Here, a second time, to bring salvation to those who eagerly await And if Christ is in you, and the Spirit of Christ has raised you heaven to Mount Zion, that coming will be when you are saved to uttermost and brought to rest, not merely by faith. In climatically by sight, where the bodily presence of Jesus and the fellowship he ushers you into with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit will be your endless delight. Whatever else we say, I didn't get a chance to talk, I didn't know something. Do you know the author of Hebrews? This is just a curious observation. Do you, you notice the author of Hebrews? Does not talk here any of the places we went about a renewed earth? Now listen, I believe that there will be a renewal in some sense of the earth. But I want to tell you what the earth and everything that's in it subserves. This is the key that. What things on earth that God has created subserve? is the worship of God and finding the right, not in the creature, but in the creator, in the of grace. And one of the Psalm I'll leave you with that I think is so wonderfully fulfilled in Christ is, is this. And and the whole Psalter, if you go back to read it now, write it, the ascension of Christ, you'll read it differently and wonderfully. Let me read it to you, and I want you to think of it in your union with The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though a war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and ask that you would give us comfort as Christ our forerunner has raised us heaven, caused us to know his glory and life. We ask that you would give us our deepest heart's desire that we would know the Lord, see his beauty, and gaze upon it in the temple of the Lord and be eternally satisfied. We pray that you will build us up in Christ, comfort us in the wilderness, and as you have begun the process of conferring rest upon us, we thank you that you who began this good work in us will most certainly carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So we ask now that in our forerunners, our great high priest, the author and finisher of our faith, the minister in the true tabernacle, pitched not by men, but by the Lord. We ask that in Him, You would give us all of the resources we need to traverse this wilderness in steadfast faithfulness and enter on the last day into the heavenly temple of the Lord, where we will behold the beauty of Christ and be eternally fully satisfied in our fellowship with Him and one another. We ask that you would drive your word deeply into our hearts and encourage us in Christ. Fill us with your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now we have just a couple of minutes for questions. Uh, uh, like four. Were there any follow-up things at the end we could do? Um, I saw this hand first and then what psalm did you read? It's psalm 27, 104. And 27 four. And 27-4 is the sweet spot. But two and three are the wilderness. Army encamps. foes attack. What do you want? The Lord is my light and my salvation, and all I want is to gaze upon you. Yes, sir. One second, the
1: bottle Follow.
0: Pharisees the 2nd. The 2nd coming is kind of technically not quite right, but we'll just call that the 2nd appearance. Yeah, we'll be Hebrews 9. Um, the time of that is called the intermediate state, and it's a place where you are comforted in the Lord, sinlessly perfect, no, no longer do you sin, you, without physical eyes, but by your soul, see Christ, are filled with this glory, comforted by Him, by the saints that are with you, and by the angels that are in worship. And it's the, it's the worship service in which only one greater can be conceived. And that one greater is when we're all raised bodily into the side of the life. But it's the penultimate feature or form of Christian existence. And so, you should be not seeking death, but you should Certainly, welcome death when it comes because it's a transition to greater glory, <coughs> fuller knowledge, and satisfaction in the Lord. And you will not ever again know sin. But during that time, and I don't want to make you too depressed about this, because it shouldn't be depressed in the least, but there will still be <coughs> this is super hard to articulate, there will still be a, a form <coughs> of sinless restlessness I don't know what else to put it. Because some who have been martyred are going to be crying out as they worship the Lord, How long, O oh Lord? <laughs> and that's not natural. That won't be said in the age settle this. Thing. So that's the one caveat. Wonderful, blessing, glory, comfort. But, oh, as St. Corinthians 5.3, you'll still be longing to be reclothed. Heavenly is a metaphorical body. So it's 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 mm-hmm. almost the best, but not quality. Mm-hmm. Is there any sense in which uh, Christian observation of the Sabbath, of Christian Sabbath, is somehow analogous to a looking forward not memorial no, no, looking for yeah, Um look, let me tell you this. I, I tell my congregation this semi-regularly that um, <coughs> the reason why you need to come to the Lord's day is it is a sign of future full, glorious and consummate Sabbath rest. And what you do six days a week Praise the Lord for it. Whatever it is. Praise the Lord for it. But what you do on the Lord's <coughs> day is your preparation for the uh, ancient in the proper, strictest, most basic sense of the term. And the fact that you are already entering that rest for three or are in the process of entering, means that when you worship with the people of God, <coughs> existentially, personally, by faith in Christ, you are already receiving the rest that will be consummated at the end of the age. And so there's a dynamic presence of the ascended Christ in worship that is not just a sign, but a participation in the reality to come, but not yet in its fullness body. And so I measure the health of any denomination by its commitment to Sabbath worship, Christian Sabbath worship, or Lord's Day worship. Mm-hmm. If it's waning, you got a worldly group. In mm-hmm. If it's waning, you got a worldly group. I've got a great friend who's pastoring somewhere, and I'll tell you who it is. And he's got about 15 or 20 people who come in at 10 o'clock and and, and, and when he's finishing his sermon, is that so that door? You know, it's like this. You know, it's almost like they're, they're out. And then what do they do? Go to basketball games, go to football games, go do just whatever they want to do. And look, I, I don't want to try on anyone's Christian liberty, but let me just put it this way that that if you have uh, Lord's Day worship, morning and evening, that ought to be. I think your pastors probably told you about morning and evening sacrifices and uh, analyses and that—that ought to be what calibrates the whole day. Your day should be calibrated by worship. And let me tell you something: if it's not your delight, ask the Lord to help you see why it's not. You know, say, "Lord, help me understand why worshiping you on the Lord's day is not actually chief delight, but I prefer to do." You know what to do? He's an empathetic high priest. He loves you. And he'll he'll shepherd you. And you know what to do? He'll give you a desire to say, you know what? I think I've got just enough time between now and tomorrow to a little boss. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. kidding. (laughs) I'm sorry. I forget, I forget, I forget to, to, to read my Bible and have fellowship, or to do something that has deep spiritual significance. Because I'll tell you this, the one thing that I know about the liberal churches that are just a dead sign is they have a sign of spiritual deadness, is that they, they have usually only one um, worship service per Sunday. And they have no concept of the supernatural, spirit-gifted rest that belongs to the church in union with the of Christ. So the Lord's Day is a formal, functional thing rather than a vital, spiritual thing. And if you know the Lord, let's do If you know the Lord, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Lord draws near to you in a special way when you worship. When you hear the preaching of the gospel, the Lord draws near in a special way that He doesn't do in other times. When you take the Lord's Supper, reflect on the Word, the Lord draws near in a special way. And that ought to be a barometer of spiritual health is how much that day and the beauty of being set aside for the worship of the ascended Christ, how much of that day do you value with whole soul delight? That's the key. Because it's not just a formal thing. What the Lord wants is your heart. The Lord wants the whole of you all the way deep down in here. He wants you totally engaged in his worship. And when you are, guess what he does? He fills you with a fullness that you don't have the vocabulary to express on this day. You do not. You do not have it. Now, the Bible gives us everything we need in terms of that vocabulary, so what do you do? You keep reading it. And you keep reading it. And you keep drawing it. And the Lord—it's it's from fullness to fullness, from fullness to fullness. And the Lord that consummates in the fullness that knows no boundaries, no limitations—it's it's, it's, it's inevitable. So, so on that, I, I would say that that the, the Lord's Day Christian Sabbath is is vital to the health and and hiding vibrancy of the church. And it's not as much that list of do's and do nots as it is the wonderfully refreshing and invigorating opportunity to set aside a whole day for publishing by the pressure. Now I do let my kids go to basketball. I mean, I'm soft. You know, they they got energy and say sometimes that they have to no shoot baskets. And say, if you prefer to shoot baskets. Uh, I uh, I (laughs) used to have energy like that. And if you do that, go shoot some. They're (laughs) (laughs) gone. But but, but the the, the ethos that that we're after, the the thing that we're after, is to help them see, I'm not hawking them. Read your Bible stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no, nothing like that. But it's more, it's more, um, what, would, what is the impediment that would keep you from wanting to engage in the worship of the Lord on the day that He set aside for that very purpose? And so I try to turn back toward the scriptures to search their hearts because you want to shepherd's hearts, you don't want to modify the papers. You want, the Lord wants the heart, He wants all. The so anyway, I think we've probably gone long enough. Um, were there any burning questions that needed to be asked before? We can certainly do things after. Pastor Boothby, do you want to give your feedback?
1: I don't know about you, but, but my heart is certainly burning uh, after... I'm just digging into God's Word, and, and we are so thankful to have Dr. Tipton here and, and to do this conference this weekend. I, I will say this, though I don't think there was any greater <clears throat> pedagogical illustration that we could have had as Tipton talks about ascending and descending the mountain as, as somewhere right here. <laughs> <laughs> ascending and descending the mountain. And that was by accident. to uh, invite all of you back uh, tomorrow evening at 6 o'clock for the joint worship service here. And speaking of that, that uh, Sabbath rest, that what we're going to do then is going to be on this earth there is nothing more like that than what we will do tomorrow night because it's multiple congregations coming together to worship the Lord just that, that, that will point us forward to everyone that we are united to today. By faith, from the beginning of the time until the return of the Lord, we will gather together at the landing feast of the land and to worship Him. So, invite all of you to come back, invite your congregations, invite others, and uh, we'd love to see you back. <clears throat> if you have a chance uh, to personally thank Him, please do. He has to leave his family. You know, he takes a lot of time and preparation for the things that he does. Uh, if you're able to, 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 tonight or today, tomorrow... Uh, just thank him for coming. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Uh, Kilton, we love you and thank you for it. Thank you. All <laughs> too.